This morning's scripture reading comes from Mark 4, 1 through 34. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said this to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which... When sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. City Church. I got it. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, 
Um, go ahead, have a seat. We are uh, grateful this morning to once again have a guest preacher uh, this morning. So I'm going to ask Dave uh, Bruscus to come on up. Some of you might know Dave. Dave uh, and I worked together uh, at the Village Church in Fort Worth when Dave uh, was called to become a campus pastor there several years ago, about five years ago yeah. now. It's hard yeah. to believe. Dave right now is serving as the director of the Regen Ministry with Watermark Church in Dallas. Uh, Dave is a dear friend. Dave uh, has been in uh, pastoral ministry for many, many, many years, and he's a, he's a dear friend of mine, uh, a brother who has helped uh, me through several different seasons of life, both in ministry and personally, and, and he's not just done that for me, he's done that for numerous pastors uh, really all over the country. Um, I don't know how this works, but it, uh, what I would love to see, what I hope I get to see in heaven, uh, obviously when we think about going to heaven and, and physically being with Jesus and hearing those words from his mouth to us, well done, good, and faithful servants. We want to hear that about ourselves, but uh, I, I just so long and, and cannot wait to see Jesus say that to you and, and know all, the, all the, the faithfulness that Dave has displayed in his life for the kingdom of God. And so we're, we're uh, grateful you're here, Dave. Thank you for opening God's word and, and preaching out of the gospel of Mark. I'm going to pray for Dave, and then uh, he, will, he will preach. Uh, thanks, brother. Father, I'm so grateful for my brother Dave. Um, what, a, what a gift he is in my life, and, and so many. Uh, both he and Kara uh, have just uh, discipled and loved and nourished your bride, the church, and through, through many different seasons and many different churches. And we are so grateful that you have seen fit to place him at Watermark. And so we pray for Watermark this morning and our brothers and sisters there, once again being reminded that the kingdom of God is bigger than any one individual church, but that you love and care for each expression of your church. And so we are grateful for Watermark and, the, and all the good that they are doing uh, for the glory of God uh, with the power of the Spirit to change lives and to bring people along further into the image of Christ. And so we, we do lift them up and pray for them, and we are grateful for them. I just pray for Dave this morning as he has been faithful to study your word and consider it, and uh, you have spoken to him, Spirit. I pray that uh, he would be bold in his proclamation of the gospel, knowing that uh, this is exactly the work that you are pleased to do, and and men like Dave. Uh, so we, we pray that we would all be uh, encouraged, exhorted, if necessary, convicted, Spirit. But we pray that it would all be uh, for further love and adoration of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Joe. City Church, great to be with you uh, this morning. Glad to be here. Especially uh, happy to be with my friend Jeff. Uh, Je Jeff uh, means many things to me. And so many ways, Jeff has been a pastor to me since I met him. Deeply grateful for Molly and Jack and Owen and see some familiar faces out there. Good to see Bob and Jennifer this morning. Glad to be with you. Here's something I've learned in marriage. If you're married, I don't know if this has been your experience, but you can, you can hear your spouse speaking without really listening to what they're saying. Have you had this experience before? Uh, I wish it wasn't much of my experience, but it happened just again last Sunday. Karen and I had gone to see a dear friend late in the afternoon, be baptized, and uh, after his baptism, we decided it was time to eat, so we went to a little pho restaurant in Dallas to have a bowl of pho, and I noticed that the Dallas Cowboys were making a remarkable comeback as I was following the game cast on ESPN. And so while Karen and I are sitting in this little cafe face-to-face, -face, and 
she's pouring out her heart to me and sharing with me about a friend of hers who's really struggling. I am one ear on her and one eye on the game cast going on watching the Cowboys. And in the midst of her telling me the most important part of the story, she looks up and realizes I'm not paying attention. And she says to me, you're not listening, are you? And I said, no, I've heard everything you've said, but yes, you're right. I'm not listening to you at all. And uh, she was disappointed in that. I believe the same thing can be true in the way that you and I listen to the scripture. There's a way in which we can hear the scripture proclaimed. We can hear the different words that are, be saying, that are being said, being taught, being proclaimed, and yet we're not listening. We're not listening and gleaning meaning, and that's beyond disappointing. According to Jesus, the result of that is devastating. That doing and listening to the word that way has eternal and devastating consequences. Here's what we're going to do today as we look at uh, Mark 4 that Jason has read for us. We're going to look at just a few things. We're going to... We're going to We're going to answer the question, what is a parable? Jesus gives several parables here. What is a parable? Why? Why does Jesus speak in parables? But I really want to hone in on how it is that you and I listen to the word of God proclaimed. The way that you and I hear God's word has a lot to do with the way in which we relate to God. It's critically important. So let me pray for us one more time and we'll jump into the Bible together. Father, I am so grateful to be here today at City Church to to worship with your people. I'm so thankful for the Jamesons and just the way in which they, Jeff and Molly, have loved me and Kara now for years and just have been dear friends and cared for us in tough times and encouraged us in good times. And Father, um, I'm just struck by this passage today because I know my own story is I'm not always attentive to what it is you're saying through your word. And so perhaps there's others in this space that are in that same place. Uh, Father, if there's anyone here in this room today who doesn't yet know Jesus, would you, through your spirit, make an introduction? May lives forever be changed. Father, let us uh, listen to your ears with ears. Let us listen to your word with ears that are quick to hear today. May we understand what it is you want to say to us. Thank you that you're a God who loves revealing himself to us. Thank you that, Father, your ultimate revelation to us is your son, Jesus. May we love him. May we grow in esteem for him together. In the next few minutes we have, in his good name we pray. Amen. We're not going to cover the entirety of this passage today. There's so much here. I was so excited when Jeff asked me to come, and when I saw the passage he assigned me, I wouldn't say I was less excited, but I thought, I've got my work cut out. Uh, We don't have a lot of time, and there's 34 verses to cover, so I want to hit some highlights. So let's begin, if you will, in verse 10, Mark chapter 4, verse 10. Let me read it for you again. And when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Let's start with the definition of a parable. What is a parable. You guys hear that word tossed around a lot. What is a parable? Parable in the original language of the New Testament, which is Koine Greek, it's a compound word. It's the, it's the word, the verb balo, which means to, to toss, and the word para mixed with it, which means alongside. Here's the concept of a parable. Parable is a riveting story. It's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration in which a significant truth is thrown alongside it. So alongside this story is a deep truth. Let me define it this way. A parable is a riveting story that illustrates a reality about the kingdom of God. 
parable is a riveting story that illustrates a reality about the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks a lot about the kingdom of God. Jesus has said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is that space that the Bible talks about where God manifests his presence as he rules over his people in his place. And so when we see a parable, Jesus is illustrating a reality of the kingdom of God. Now, that's not really the question those who are close to Jesus are asking him. They understood what a parable was. What they're asking him as we come to Mark 4.10 is, why do you speak this way, Jesus? Why do you speak to us in parables? Why don't you just come out and clearly make your point? Why is it oftentimes what you say is somewhat obscured? Why is it cryptic? What are you doing here? Look at what Jesus says. This doesn't necessarily strike us as good news, and certainly for some people, it's really bad news. Jesus is saying in quoting Isaiah 6, I speak in parables so that some may see and not perceive, that some may hear and not understand, lest they should understand what God is calling them to repent and be forgiven. So let's talk about it this way. Why does Jesus speak in parables? What is the purpose of parables? Here's, it, here's what it is. Jesus reveals and conceals truth through the parables. Isn't that interesting? Jesus both reveals truth and conceals truth through the parables. For those who believe in him, parables are an opportunity for him to convey a deep, meaningful reality about the kingdom of God so that they may believe more deeply and enjoy the kingdom of God more fully. For those who disbelieve, though, the parables are a form of judgment. The truth is concealed in a way that Jesus speaks the truth, but it's concealed from those with disbelieving hearts, and so their judgment is increased. It's ironic. It's hard to fully understand. In some ways, in our way of thinking, based upon our cultural biases, it almost sounds harsh, sounds unfair. The Puritans used to talk about this truth when they said the same sun that melts the ice, the sun is a reference to the word proclaim, the gospel proclaim, the same sunshine, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the earth. Think of it this way. How many of you survived the February storm of 2021? I guess we're all survivors, so we wouldn't be here. Maybe you weren't in Texas at the time. It was miserable, and we prayed that the sun would come out. Please, Lord, it's in the single digits. Would you please bring out the sun and melt the ice? And when the sun came out, we rejoiced. Now, how many of you just survived the summer of 23? How often were you begging God, please, would you hide the sun? The sun is baking the ground. We saw as if the earth was going to open up and swallow us alive. Some of the crevices we saw in the, the hard clay soil of North Texas. The same sun that melts the ice or tenderizes a heart towards God is the same sun that hardens a heart, toughens a heart towards God. Jesus uses parables both to reveal to the truth to those who are his who will believe and at the same time conceals the truth from the hard hearts. Do you feel the weight of that this morning? I hope you pray for, for Pastor Jeff and others who come forward and bring the word of God. There's a weightiness to every time you proclaim the word of God. God does his work, which means he's simultaneously revealing truth to some while concealing it for others. So it's critically important to, to, to you and me as to how we hear the word of God. 
Now let's go back to the parables because I want to show you four different types of hearers of the gospel that Jesus points out in this parable. And he makes them known to his disciples as he gives them the interpretation in verses 13 through 20 of Mark 4. So four different types of hearing, four different types of hearers, four different types of soil in the way that they approach the gospel. Here's the first type. Some hear the word, but are deceived. Some hear the word, hear the gospel, hear the good news of the kingdom of God, hear the good news of Jesus, and are immediately deceived. Look, if you will, at verse 14 and 15, Mark chapter 4. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, listen to this, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Jesus is using this imagery, the sower sows the seed, that's the proclaimer of the good news, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The seed is the word of God, it falls along the path, and before the seed can even begin to sink into the soil and take root, a bird flies in, snatches it away. We've seen this, right, particularly with pigeons at the park. We've seen this happen before. And it's as if the hearer hears the word, and before he can even process it, receive it, Satan immediately deceives and snatches the word away. That was my story before I came to faith in Jesus. Perhaps you can relate. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Don't know what your background was. My mom and dad nominally would go to church occasionally. We would go on special holidays because my grandma would invite us and she would entice us by going to her country club buffet on Christmas and Easter. So we were bound to go. Um, But when I became a sixth grader, right in middle school years, my mom and dad both came to faith in Jesus. And so they began to take me and my little brother to a Bible preaching Baptist church. And it was one of these churches that I'm thankful for that every Sunday the gospel was proclaimed, people were invited to respond. So I heard the gospel Sunday in and Sunday out. And because my parents were faithful churchgoers, 52 times a year at least I heard the gospel, 52 times a year I would hear it. And this is what I think, oh, that's cool. That's nice. Yeah, I I believe there's this guy named Jesus, and it's even possible that he was risen from the dead. And I think this is really good for my parents. But it's just one way. It's not my way. I I don't necessarily need to follow Jesus. I don't necessarily need to believe the things that they're telling. If my parents want to believe this, and I've watched their lives improve, great for them. But there are many different paths that lead to God, and I'm okay that way. Do you see what's going on there? This is exactly what Jesus says happens to some. Some hear the word, and before they can really even process it and even reason about it, Satan deceives them, and the the word doesn't take root. Let me ask you a hard question this morning. Are you a deceived hearer? Is that your story? Have you been here for a while, and you've heard the gospel, and and for whatever reason, you think, ah, okay. I'm not really compelled to do anything about it. That's interesting. Maybe you're here and you're saying, that's not true. I don't believe it all. I want you to understand where you fall into the hearers that Jesus is describing here. Now, there's more hearers to think about. Here's the second category. Some hear the word. Some hear the gospel of Jesus. Some hear the word but become disillusioned. Some hear the word but become disillusioned. I believe we find ourselves surrounded by people who fit this category today and where we are in our culture. Look, if you will, at verses 16 and 17 in Mark chapter 4. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. 
Here's what then happens. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I want you to understand the consequence of believing the word of God according to this text. When you and I place our faith in the good news of Jesus, that is the fact that Jesus lived the life that you and I couldn't live. Jesus died the death on the cross as our perfect substitute that we all deserve to die. Jesus is risen victoriously from the grave. When we believe that assertion, we believe those facts, we're going to face persecution. We are going to experience tribulation. Not everyone is going to see the world the way that we see it, and they're going to be hostile in our beliefs. They're going to oppose our beliefs. And for some people around the world, this could actually cost them their lives. Where we're living today, it can cost us in other ways. You can lose your reputation. You can lose your credibility. You can be canceled. So there's some that when they hear the word, they seem to immediately accept it. But in time, as they face opposition and persecution and tribulation, they walk away. I was part of a church several years ago where a young man named Brandon came to faith. And uh, Brandon came from a really dynamic, artistic community. He was incredibly creative. He, uh, he, he responded to the gospel, or so it seemed at the time, and began to pronounce himself publicly as a follower of Jesus. And as he did so, he began to see his social circle shrink. People began to look at Brandon, and they began to become hostile. People who used to love him and care for him began to look at him and, and feel that his truth was too narrow. And they didn't like the things that he was talking about as it pertained to sexual expression and gender and, and issues of morality. They, they, they began to say hard things about him. And as if he said anything public and positive about Jesus online, they began to attack him. And he began to realize suddenly he wasn't invited to the same parties anymore and he was excluded from social circles. And the burden became so great upon him, he walked away from the faith. He said, if allegiance to Jesus is going to cost me my friends, then I'd rather not have Jesus. And he himself became disillusioned. And what seemed to be someone who had begun a, a, a radical life of faith quickly faded. And you began to realize it wasn't as if Brandon had something that he lost. He never really believed in the first place. There's a big word we talk about today that we see happening all around us. It's the word deconstruction. Right? We begin to see is what we believe and the things that we adhere to and the things that the scripture teaches and all the demands that the, the gospel makes upon our lives comes into conflict with the culture around us and culture begins to speak out against us and even to the point of canceling us. Some people just say, enough. This is too costly. This is too much. I don't believe what I used to believe. Is that you this morning? Are you one who is listening with a sense of disillusionment? Are you a disillusioned hearer? There's a third person who responds initially to the word of God, but then later walks away. Look at this. This comes to us from verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Third category of hearers I want you to see and understand are some hear the word but become distracted. Some hear the word and are deceived. Some hear the word but become disillusioned. Some hear the word but become distracted. They're like the seed. They're like the soil that's thorny. So when the seed 
is planted and even it grows up, but it's choked out by the thorns. And Jesus says, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, they seem to respond in faith to the good news of the gospel, the kingdom of God. But in time, they get distracted by things of the world, the shiny things, the material things, the possessions that the world has to offer us, the power the world seems to afford us. These things begin to crowd out in their heart, their affection, their love, their devotion to the gospel, and eventually they just walk away. Forced to make a choice between believing, truly believing and turning from sin and trusting in Jesus and allowing Jesus to rule over all their lives and seeing the, the things that Jesus has to say about power and possessions and what it means to follow him, they walk away and determine to follow the things of the world. There was a man named Clark in a church I was involved in. He was known as one of the best surgeons in the state in which the church resided. And not only was he an incredible surgeon, he was a very innovative person. He had patented uh, a device for surgery that gained traction all over the world, and he became an, an incredibly wealthy man overnight. So much so that he began to buy uh, high-profile nightclubs all over the United States. And so he began to come to church, and he was, in, he was seemingly interested in the gospel of Jesus even the point where he made a public profession of faith. And Karen and I used to meet with him and his wife and several others in his home. And you could begin to see the, the tension in Clark's heart. On one hand, he was interested in Jesus, but he was seeing more opportunity in the world around him, all the things that were shiny, all the, all the possessions that he could have, all the money and the way that he could use that money to make more money. And you could just tell he was torn between the two. And it wasn't long before he developed a significant drug addiction. And it began to impact his family and his practice and things were difficult and hard and you could see the, the tension within and he had a decision to make. Was he really going to turn from sin and trust in the good news of Jesus or was he going to follow the things of the earth? And he finally decided one day to just walk away from his family and his faith. He was distracted to the point of disbelief. Three different types of soil that don't produce good fruit from the seed that's planted. There are those who hear the word and, deceive and are deceived. There are those who hear the word and become disillusioned. There are those who hear the gospel and become distracted. But there's another category. And I think this category represents perhaps all of us in this room, if not the vast majority. This is good news. Listen to this, verse 20, Mark 4. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The gospel is proclaimed to those who, when they hear it, they believe it. And they believe it in a way in which the gospel becomes a living entity in their lives, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And the result of it is phenomenal. Life transformation begins to take root and expand. And when you see this agricultural metaphor that Jesus loves to use and you see fruitfulness, always think in your mind, obedience. In other words, the root takes hold in the hearts of the hearers and suddenly their lives are transformed. Their entire identities are reshaped and they begin to become people collectively and individually who think, speak, feel, and act like Jesus. And they become obedient to God. 
Is that you? Is that how you hear the word of God? I got to tell you that the, 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 the most devoted follower of Jesus I've ever met is in the room this morning. As a matter of fact, she drove with me here this morning. Her name is Kara. And uh, if you've never seen Kara on a Monday morning after a sermon, I wish you could. Uh, unfortunately, she's had to listen to my preaching for much of her life. But every Monday morning as I get up and I get about my day, and there were times in ministry where I'd take Mondays off and I was just too depressed. So it was a bad move. I eventually decided like, hey, I'm going to take off Saturdays instead. But uh, Monday morning, she gets up and she takes copious notes. She's probably taking notes right now. You can see that she is. On Monday morning, she will go, whoever it is preaching, she will get up early. She will sit down in her favorite chair right there in the bedroom, and she will begin to look over her sermon notes, and she'll begin to make action items as to what she's going to do based on the sermon that she heard the other day. In other words, what's going on is she has good soil in her heart, the soil that God has prepared. And as she hears the word of God, not only does she listen to it, but she takes notes, she thinks about it, she, she, she believes in it. As she believes in it, the belief in the gospel begins to transform the way she thinks, the way she speaks, the way she feels, and the way that she acts. It impacts her relationships. It impacts the course of her week. It takes root. And as I've watched her now for over 40 years up close, she is a woman who is becoming daily more and more like Jesus in all of life. How does that happen? It happens as the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, takes root in her heart, and the fruit that is born is 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Is that you this morning? Are you a devoted hearer of the word of God? How do we explain the difference between those who hear the very same word and they either are deceived or disillusioned or distracted and those who hear and are devoted? That's the fourth category. If I didn't tell you that, I missed that. Some hear the word and are devoted. Some hear the word of God in a way that it fans their devotion to the Lord. How does that happen? Look with me, if you will, all the way down to the end of this passage. You're going to see exactly how this happens. The way in which you and I come to believe in the gospel and that belief in the gospel radically works its way in our life is through the power of Jesus's personal instruction. Look at what he does for his disciples. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Ready? Here comes the caveat. Here comes the explanation. Here's the peek behind the curtain. Verse 34. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained how much? Everything. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Jesus loved his own to the point that he would say things publicly. And as he said things publicly, oftentimes they were enshrouded, they were encrypted, they weren't easily understandable, but he would then take his own and he would explain everything to them so that they got it, so that they understood it. That's the care and concern of Jesus. Now, if you're like me, that raises a question this morning. As a matter of fact, that raises a desire in my heart. I think to myself, I wish Jesus would do that for me. And guess what? He has. I want you to see his plan because his disciples faced this very same issue when Jesus told them that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die. And after his death, he would be resurrected. and He would ascend into heaven. And I think his disciples must have thought, well, then who's going to explain your teaching to us as we move into the future? Jesus has an answer. Listen to this from John 16. 
In John 16, 12 through 15, Jesus introduces to his disciples the powerful ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak not on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What a promise. Isn't that amazing? See, the Bible teaches that our God is triune. Three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As God the Son, Jesus, is wrapping up his earthly ministry with his disciples, and he anticipates their concern over how they are going to possibly understand the Bible, the truths of the gospel of the kingdom of God, apart from him explaining it to them, perhaps like little children, Jesus lets them know there's one who's coming after me, the Holy Spirit. And he will take all that is mine and he will help you understand it. Later, Jesus also says that not only will he help you understand it, he'll help you be obedient to that which I'm calling you to. What a promise. What a powerful reality that you and I have as we open up the Bible and perhaps we read it on our own, as you and I maybe put in our favorite preacher that we podcast, as you and I come here Sunday in and Sunday out, the Holy Spirit is primed to illuminate the Word of God so that we understand exactly what's there. He helps us, not only enables us to understand it, He empowers us to believe it. Do you see that happening today? When God calls you to hear his word and be careful, Jesus specifically says, let him who has ears have ears to hear. God is also the very one in the person of the Holy Spirit who enables you to hear all that God has for you in the word of God and not just hear it and understand it, actually apply it to your life. That's how much he loves you, church. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he wants to make himself known to you. So how should we listen? How should we listen when we listen to the word of God? Let me give you three ways to listen and we'll wrap up with this. First thing I think we should do is we should listen reliantly. Listen reliantly. Do you realize much of what you do when you listen to the word of God proclaimed is preparation work? You know what's the hardest thing in the world for me to do? And and I've been a pastor for most of my life. Like I work on Sundays. is to prepare for Sundays, right? You come here and for whatever reason, forgive my language, but it seems at times like all hell breaks loose on Sunday mornings, right? You're having fights with your spouse. You didn't anticipate their car problems that surface you never expected. There's things that are going on in the world around us. It seems like bad things always happen on Sundays. And so you walk into this space, you're listening to the word of God and you're distracted. And so part of what we do is we listen reliantly. Really the first part of listening is to prepare our hearts in prayer and say, God, speak to me today. Holy Spirit, I need you to open up my eyes so that I might see in your word the things that are wonderful about Jesus. Holy Spirit, open my ears that I might hear exactly what you have for me today through your word. Isn't it an amazing reality that the Holy Spirit who wrote the very scriptures of God is the very one who interprets them to us? I don't know what your experience was if you have little kids, but I used to love to read to my four daughters the Chronicles of Narnia. Wouldn't it have been amazing 
if C.S. Lewis would have sat in with us and as he read his own writings would have said to the kids, hey, let me tell you what I was trying to do here in this passage. Let me explain to you exactly the meaning of this character. That's exactly the type of opportunity we have with God, the Holy Spirit, as we enter into hearing the word of God. The very one who wrote the scriptures is also the one who is ready and prepared to illumine him for us. So we listen reliantly. Uh, I had an experience just a few weeks ago at Watermark. It was a Sunday in the summer and the teaching pastors there are working through the parables and I want to walk through how this works with what was going on that day. And Timothy Atik, we call him Pastor T.A. At, at Watermark, was preaching from Matthew 13, 44. Here was the parable he had. It was simply this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and seals, um, sells, excuse me. Then, he, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That was the passage for the day. So as I'm reading that in the text and it's being proclaimed, it's being projected across the, 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 the worship space, I asked the Holy Spirit, help me understand what this means because I could easily gloss over this one. I could be disconnected. Second way I want us to listen is not only listen reliantly, but listen reflectively. This is the one time where it's really good for you to be a little bit self-centered and say, what do you have for me, Lord? What is it you have for me today in your word? So many times when we hear the word of God, we oftentimes think in terms of what others need to hear. And that's okay, right? We want to serve others with what God is doing in us through the ministry of the word. But we want to hear personally. And so it's important that we reflect. As we're listening to the word proclaimed, we want to understand first and foremost, who is God revealing himself to be? That's the most important question. Who do we understand God to be according to the truth of his word? And then how do we respond to him? I want you to reflect. So as, as, as T.A. is preaching, I'm asking the question, who is God? And as we're looking at this passage and the idea of the kingdom of God being a, a treasure in a field that, that a man finds, and then he covers it up and he runs and he goes and he buys that field, sells all his possessions, takes all his net worth, liquidates everything so that he can buy this, this, this treasure in the field. I'm suddenly struck by the fact again that God is our greatest treasure. People ask the question all the time, what do I get if I believe the gospel? You get the greatest gift that could ever be. You get Jesus. That's who you get. He's the great treasure. He's the treasure in the field. He's worth everything. Abandon everything that means anything to you and pursue him. And so I'm sitting here and I'm listening. I'm beginning to listen reflectively. This truth isn't for everyone else today. This one is for me. And through me, perhaps it filters to others, but I need to hear what God has for me today. Here's the third thing I want you to think about when you listen. I want you to listen reliantly. I want us to listen reflectively. Last thing is I want us to listen responsively. The word of God, every time it's proclaimed, requires, by its very definition, a response from us. And there's three movements every time in responding to the word of God. The first is repentance. It's turning away from false ideas and the false idols of our life. But we don't stop there. We don't just turn away from something and go in a different direction. We turn away from, or we repent from false ideas and false idols, and we turn again to Jesus. We turn to him again and say, I need a Savior. I need a Lord. 
I believe that your perfect life, your, your substitutionary death, your victorious resurrection are all that I need right here and right now in order for me to experience all that you want for me. Jesus, help me. And as we turn from sin and we trust in Jesus, then we move forward empowered to obey and we respond in obedience. So I'm listening to T.A. preach on this parable. And as I'm listening and I'm relying on the Holy Spirit, show me what I need to hear today. And I'm being struck by this idea that, 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 that God is my great treasure, that he's worth everything in my life and pursuing him is most important. As I get down to this third step and I'm, I'm listening responsibly, I begin to realize how I built my life patterns around other things. You ever come to that realization? Lord, I may proclaim that you're my treasure, but I'm not acting accordingly. And it strikes me in that moment that the way I've been ending my days and going to bed at night and the way I've been getting up have become very sloppy, very inconsistent. And the result of my life being undisciplined and going to bed and getting up in the morning has in many ways crowded pursuing Jesus as my highest treasure out of my life. Now he promises never to leave us or forsake us, but there's ways in which I feel like I put him on the shelf. And I remember in that moment thinking, I need to change the way I'm living as a response to the word of God today. I need to, I need to go to bed at a decent time and I need to prepare my day. I need to put my, this sounds so simple. So many of you are like, you don't do that. Like, hey, I need to go to bed at the same time every night. And when I go to bed, I need to put my clothes out for the next morning. I need to plan my day out. And I need to get up earlier. And, and as I get up earlier, I need to prioritize my time with the Lord. That's what I need to do so that like the man who, who sees this treasure in a field and he covers it up so no one else finds it and he sells everything and goes and buys the field. That's what I need to do. I got to let you know, it's been about four months and my life is not perfect by any stretch. But I can tell you that Jesus is my treasure. The things are changing. Why is that? Because that's what it looks like to, to listen to the word of God. Friends, you and I can hear the word of God. We can hear the, the words that are being proclaimed and spoken, but there are times in which we can do it in a way that we're not listening. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're a follower of Jesus, God loves you. He wants to make himself known to you. And the way in which you and I listen to him and the way we respond to him in response to his love reflects to him how much we love him. Jesus said it this way. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. The way that you and I express our love for Jesus is by hearing his word, turning from sin, trusting in him again, and from a place of trust, walking in obedience. Will you hear him this morning? Will you listen to him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the parables. Thank you that we are here today because you have made yourself known to us because you love us in your kindness and your grace you have sought us out you have opened up our hearts and you have created the conditions of the soil so that when we hear the word of God we might respond and father you are speaking to us constantly through your word thank you for the gift of the gospel thank you Father and Son, for the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, may we be those who listen with great devotion. For Jesus' glory, in his name we pray together. Amen.